welcome to the Real Appeal Podcast. This is your host and writer for your entertainment corner, Kelsey Loizel. And with me today is my co-host, Mark Salcedo. Hey. Hi. You know, <laughs> Sorry, I'm so distracted by those kids. <laughs> I know, I was going to say. And also on today's episode... All the loudest neighborhood fucking kids outside. <laughs> yeah. But they'll get uh, uncredited work. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Forever immortalized in the uh, confines of this podcast and never see a penny of it. Exactly. <laughs> and then, you know what everyone's going to say about, uh, you know, any of the kids that are, I think, all girls. What? Yes, she's emotionally disturbed. She's on balance. <laughs> That's all women. All women are on balance. Well, I sure as hell am. <laughs> it's a very sexist, misogynistic uh, statement. Uh, yeah, so Mark Salcedo from ScreenGeek. <laughs> <laughs> also, I think I do a good job of balancing my unbalancedness. You, oh, you do. Holy shit, you do. <laughs> Fuck. I'm like that penny that rolls and then it's, it starts. Oh, stays up? It doesn't stay up, but it starts like, you know, like rotating. Like it's uh, going to fall down, but it just goes in a circle <laughs> yeah. you know but it, you're like when is it gonna fall and like goes longer than you expected it to uh, i'm the penny i just haven't fallen yet yes <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know what when you said that it reminded me of uh my nickname for you no it's saying it, <laughs> no it reminded me of uh, inception the totem that's just constantly spinning oh yeah it just reminded me of that so essentially you're the totem that never falls over exactly <laughs> Um, you can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at The Real Appeal to Ease and Real, or you can email us at therealappeal at gmail.com. If you could, please review us on iTunes. Excuse me. <laughs> review us on iTunes so we can get noticed. And our segments for this week's show we got the news, we've got our recent review of old. Our Variety Time segment, A Legendary Feud. Mm-hmm. And our uh, geriatric cinematic of Whatever Happened to Baby Jane, which came out in 1962. And Mark, what's the topic? Uh, older than dirt and scarier, too. It, you know what? There's a few going on, a few going on outside with them kids. I know. The feud is... Who can shriek louder than the, oh, the next person? Oh, God. There's that kid here. Who fucking screams their head off just wow like it's a fucking competition. Oh, that's a boy. That's a boy? That. There's a boy who does that. Mm. Remember when Cadence used to like scream? She used to say she could whistle. Yeah, yeah. And, but it would just be the highest pitch little shriek you ever heard. Yeah. And it she, sounded you're like, holy shit, is she whistling? I'm like, no. Oh, you're yeah, like, I she's not. Yeah. <laughs> even like when she would uh when she would scream when you would get her in the pool and uh go past her comfort level she would just like i can't even imitate no it. no no. it's different because like uh-huh. the one where she's pretending to whistle actually like sounded like a whistle yeah it didn't really hurt your ears mm-hmm. the one where she's screaming because she's terrified mm-hmm. has like a shriek but also like this rasp mm-hmm. that just decimates your fucking ears like did she like almost? I don't want to say she blow out, almost blow out her vocal cords, but did she like really hurt her throat one time, like screaming like? like told, I think she did. Like he told me like you you had her take a shower or you had to like make her take a shower because she hadn't cleaned herself, and then she was just like screaming, 
And then when she was done, she was like, oh, that wasn't so bad. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. That rings. That sounds like her. Mm-hmm. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, definitely. <laughs> um, so let's get into the news. Uh, so, yeah, what happened uh, recently, I think it was as recent as yesterday. Um, yesterday being Monday. Yeah, Monday. Um, they. It seems like we're going to get a new Exorcist movie. Actually, a trilogy of Exorcist films. Um, it's been sold to Universal, or the idea has been sold to Universal with from a report at $400 million. Um, so I, I remember hearing about the story. So last December, David Gordon Green was working with Bloomhouse uh, Pictures on a new Exorcist franchise. Now, Green and Bloomhouse... Um, what they decided to do with this is that they're going to take the approach that they have done for the Halloween films, for their, their recent Halloween films, where that is going to be a trilogy. Like they've gotten the first ones is just Halloween. And the second one is like Halloween kills or something like that. I don't know what the third one's supposed to be. Um, so, and that, the, that Halloween franchise or those sequels, they like start, the story starts from the very first Halloween movie and then like completely erases like the other Halloween movies. So it's like just those films. So they're so green and Bloomhouse are going to take an approach just like that. They're going to craft like a trilogy, but they're going to bring back Ellen uh, Burstyn to star and in kind of like Jamie Lee Curtis kind of fashion where she's like the focal point mm-hmm. in the story from, from my understanding. Um, so it's, it's amazing that like, this trilogy film is has sold for like four hundred million dollars. The movie's not even like in production in any form or fashion, mm-hmm. and already they're like boom, four hundred million dollars, one made. <laughs> <laughs> that that kind of bodes well, I feel like. Yeah. So because um, Exorcist isn't exactly like an F nine, like a Fast and Furious. Oh it's yeah, not yeah. Like Transformers or some shit where people just spend money on it because it's an action film. Like yeah, yeah. Like there, there have been a number of sequels of Exorcist. Like um, the second one was called The Heretic. I can't remember. Wasn't there something like Rosemary or something like that? Rosemary Baby. No, what was it that? I don't think. Oh, so. it's like that. Oh, the Exorcism of Emily Rose. Yeah, of Emily Rose. No, yeah. that's 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 a completely different movie. That's, that's not part of. No, no. There's like, let me see. I. I know there's like a multitude of like exorcist film other than just um other than just like three. There is let me see. Uh okay. So okay, so there is there is a series of it's called the Exorcist series. Okay, so okay. So there's the Exorcist, Exorcist Two, The Heretic, Exorcist The Exorcist Three, which I remember watching bits and pieces of two and three. Mm-hmm. Um then there's Exorcist the Beginning and then Dominion prequel to the exorcist okay um so let me finish the story because i got to tell you this really interesting story about like the whole exorcist franchise um so morgan morgan creek entertainment they've held on to the rights of the franchise and they're working with green and bloomhouse as well uh bloomhouse's uh jason bloom on these movies uh green is uh set to write and direct it um so these trilogies will serve as direct sequel to William Freakin's original Exorcist. So completely, eva- e- completely evaporating Heretic and Exorcist Three and the prequels as well. Um, and Dominion. Yeah, the yeah, Dominion and. How sad. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I'm, t- I'm so devastated. <laughs> yeah, you and like three other people who saw that movie. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't see it. Yeah. Well, well I'm, you know what? I'm one of them. <laughs> 
Okay, so Green confirmed to Total Film Magazine that um, this month that he actually completed the first script during the pandemic. Um, so yeah, and it says, you know, the story goes on and says, like, yeah, these are the trilogy that will follow the freaking films. Okay, so I'm interested. I'm very interested in this. I've seen the, the first Exorcist movie a bunch of times. I remember watching... Um, the first one when they re-released in theaters with the added footage that they took out mm-hmm. and it was so hard for me to finish that movie <laughs> very because tr- you were scared or i was terrified <laughs> i was fucking terrified <laughs> um okay so here's the story about the exorcist the beginning and dominion prequel to the exorcist there was they were planning to make i can't remember what studio um looks like it's let me see it looks like it's warner brothers um Warner Brothers wanted to make an Exorcist prequel that followed uh, the father from the first, the priest from the first movie, um, uh, Father Marin. Okay, but he's played by Stella Starsgard. What happened was that they made the movie, they completed the movie, and the studio did not like it and just threw it all out. Oh, shit. And redid the whole movie again. I think it was I think it was Dominion. I think that was that was the version that they were working on, finished it, and they did not like it at all and just fucking threw it all out. The only thing and they reshot the movie, which became Exorcist the beginning. Oh, okay. Um and that and the only thing that stuck was like uh Stella Skarsgård. Let me see. Uh many years before the event. Let me see. Play by Is it Stella or Stellan? Stellar. Uh let me see. What's it? I just saw his name. Uh, oh, Stellan. Sorry, Stellan Sarsgaard. I was right. It's Stellan. Stellan. Um, I, I I think it was, I think it was because I remember, I remember the beginning came out and then Dominion. Then like they end up like releasing Dominion anyway. And they're both. I've seen both of them. They're both bad. <laughs> they are both really bad movies. Um, so I'm I'm really interested in watching this Exorcist. Uh, these new exorcist films because like i said i love the first one um bits and pieces of the second one and the third one i remember hearing the third one actually has a cult following because they say it really follows like the feel of like part one okay and it's like they take they actually it continues the story from one of the characters um and how like exorcism is exorcism is still like involved in all kinds of stuff and it makes it like a really weird twisted kind of movie when this movie comes out, we should do one of the newer Halloween, the first newer Halloween movie. With the Exorcist? Yeah. Why? Because of Jamie Lee Curtis. So and you, Ellen Burstyn. So you want, So when this new Exorcist movie comes out, you want to do the recent Halloween film? Not the newest, newest one, but when mm. she came back when she was older. Yeah, that came out like last year, I think. I thought it was like seven years ago no it was re- it was fairly recent yeah fine <laughs> well i'm so i'm sorry i look i liked it okay symmetry uh you know logistics logistics okay well logistically speaking i think we should if we should do the first exorcist movie with the with the first one in the, in the trilogy fine what fine. <laughs> whatever whatever i like that idea too i guess well, you should like it. I'm paying you to like it. You know what else I like? What? New Predator movie. <laughs> it has a title. It has plot details. It has a timeline. Revealed <laughs> by producers John Davis and 
John Fox. So the two Johns. Yeah, the two Johns. Mm-hmm. <laughs> or like, or, and they're you know working as predators. Oh God! Can you just read the fucking story? You know that's what Johns read are. Read the story. <laughs> Um, so Collider did an interview, um, and it was because of this week's release of your favorite film ever, Disney's Jungle Cruise. Mm. (laughs) Um, so the Johns, they revealed (laughs) that Dan Trachtenberg's, uh, upcoming Predator movie is going to be called Skull. Mm -hmm. And it's going to be an origin story about Predator's first journey to Earth. Mm -hmm. This planet that we live on <laughs> and it's almost done filming so you know we didn't even know that it was being worked on i don't think i i did i i knew it's been worked on uh for a few months i'm surprised it's almost done filming oh, like wow. that fucking fast <laughs> um so it's gonna have a female hero um and davis said uh he always thinks it's interesting um so that's gonna have uh you know the female hero but he also said that it has in common with the first film. It stars Arnold Schwarzenegger. Mm-hmm. Which essentially is Predators, but whatever. <laughs> you should uh, talk about that. I, I will. I will. I, you just you, want me to finish? Yeah, I want you to finish because, yeah. Okay. Um, so Davis continued, it goes back to what made the original Predator movie work. It's the ingenuity of a human being who won't give up, who's able to observe and interpret, basically being able to be a stronger, more powerful, well-armed force. It actually has more akin to The Revenant than it does to any film in the Predator canon. You'll know what I mean once you see it, promised Fox. Though Davis declined to reveal the specific time period, you can use your imagination. It is early. Uh, so Davis said of the tone of the film it all depends on how you end up cutting it right it was conceived as an R-rated movie it could easily end up PG-13 excuse me I guess I'm going to find out what it has to be or what it is when it's all cut together it's unclear uh, when we'll get our first look at any images or footage from school Um, they haven't released a release date um, but Davis said that Trachtenberg is probably three quarters of the way through production. Um, and like you said, that's very surprising because they haven't really given away much about the film mm-hmm. or the cast or anything. And you're surprised that it's so far along. Yeah. So, um, okay. So the, the movie, yeah, see, cause, okay. So I, First of all, that comment that he says, like, oh, it's rated R, but it could be PG-13. You can say that about any fucking movie. You can turn any rated R movie into G-rated if you want to, if you make the right cuts. Yeah. Okay. Two, it should definitely not be PG-13. Because, like I said... Because they did that with the last one. They did that with Alien... Well, not the the last... Oh, the Predators? Was the Predators PG-13? The one where you said it was, like, in a town? The one I fell asleep watching? Yeah, let me see. So, AVP, Alien vs. Predator... um, was PG-13. Uh, the Predator, uh, let's see, The Predator that came out in 2018, God, that movie was fucking trash. Um, that that was rated R. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay, so when I said, when I said like Predators earlier, okay, this was essentially Predators. I mean, it's, it's, 
it, they have a female lead, but you know, if they, if they're trying to make it more common than more, make it common to the first Predator movie, then obviously there's going to be a team. There's going to be a team of people trying to survive going against this creature. They did that in Predators. Um, Predators does not get enough respect. Um, I think because people still have that, that it has that stank of AVP. Um, and the thing about Predators is like it was this thing, the concept's already been done, but it worked well. Uh, Predators that was directed by Robert Rodriguez in 2010. Um, it was a group of people found themselves in the jungle and they are at odds, they're at each other's ends or whatever, odds ends or however you use the phrase. And, oh, I take that back. It was it was Nimrod a, a uh, Nimrod a tell. I take that back. It was Nimrod Attell. Why do I think it was Rob Rodriguez? Uh, Nimrod Attell has done uh, Armored Vacancy, Warrior War Pine, Servant. Okay, so. Oh, he did Control, too. That's a great fucking movie, too. Uh, no, that's a different movie. Anyway, so I'm going off track. Okay, so Predators should have been the sequel that. And they even make mention of the first Predator movie. There's even like they even bring it up like in a discussion in the movie, which is like okay, clearly this is a sequel to at least the first Predator movie. They don't mention anything that happened in Part Two, which took place in L.A. But like it had the feel, it had the action, it had the violence, it had the slow burn that a lot of people seem to fucking forget. That's in the first Predator movie. Mm-hmm. Like there's a slow there's like action, but you don't really see the creature until like. What maybe like forty minutes into the movie or some shit like that? You like Kelsey? Kelsey has watched it before. That was like one mm-hmm. of the first movies I showed her. Yeah. Um. So it sucks because like I think Predator should be really up there as like the great like great Predator films. You know, it should. I would say it's maybe like the number two spot because I I I have I've watched Predators more than I've watched Predator Two because Predator Two is it's good it's not bad but like. It's still sloppy. Yeah. Um, that's not to say that like I'm not intrigued by this movie as as the this new Predator movie that's going to be called Skull, which I'm kind of I like I I have an idea why they might call it Skull, but like why call it Skull? Yeah. This is kind of weird. Um, and what's interests me so much is that because it's Dan Trachtenberg, and I I like Dan Trachtenberg's work. He uh he did uh was it a Cloverfield Lane. Oh, I like that movie. Yeah. You were so scared watching that. Oh, I was terrified of that movie. (laughs) That's the first time I ever got to experience you being scared in a movie theater. (laughs) Yeah, Dan Tractorburr, he he did this really, oh yeah, Dan Tractorburr has worked on Black Mirror, he's worked on The Boys, uh, 10 Cloverfield Lane. Um, He did this short, it was so fucking good. He did did this short called, um, oh my god, I can't fucking find it. So did you ever play that game Portal, or do you know about Portal? I don't know much about it. But it, but you understand? It, do you understand the concept of it? Where you like you? It's a puzzle game, and you have this gun that essentially creates portals, and you have to like figure your way out. Oh okay. Um, if I remember correctly, I think Dan Trachtenberg did a short film based off of that, mm-hmm. and it was hella good, like really fucking good. Um, that sounds like my kind of game. Uh, it was called No Escape. Uh, oh yeah, I would. You would enjoy it. Mm. You would enjoy Portal. I, I played the first and second one. I fucking loved it. Love those games. Um, but I, I'm 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 interested. I'm I'm still very interested in this Predator movie. Um, 
I was interested in, t- in the Predator because it had uh, who was the guy who directed? Um, those kids are so distracting. I'm like, well, my brain's just not fully functioning. <laughs> Uh, the Predator that was directed by Where the fuck's his name? Shane Black, who's a great screenwriter and an actually pretty good director. I was so and he's dis- an actor. Yeah, <laughs> I was so disappointed in the Predator. So fucking disappointed in that film. I uh, just feel like sometimes the studios just get too much pull. It, yeah, and it's, it's and, it, and like Shane Black is not like. He's not like a Taika Waititi or like, mm. he's not David Lynch. He's not, you know what I mean? So yeah. they're just like, no, we still have to tell you what to do. Yeah, yeah. And then they fuck it up. Yeah. the um, One of the movies that we saw that I know Kelsey liked was uh, The Good Guys. That was the one with Russell Crowe. Oh, yeah. Um, no, it wasn't The Good Guys. Holy shit. Let me see. Nice Guys. Nice Guys. Yeah, with Russell Crowe and... Ryan Gosling. Mm-hmm. I remember you and I enjoyed that movie a lot. Yeah, I liked it. Yeah, it had that good, it had that good amount of comedy and. And like, it was stylized the way we like, but it wasn't too pretentious. It wasn't like stylized for the sake of being stylized. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, so it kind of it kind of broke my heart that like that's what Shane Black did with the Predator movie. And from what I heard, Fox Fox really fucked around with that movie. But you know, you know it was Fox. Yeah, and they ain't around no more. I know they're not around anymore. So you know that's their fault. You know, whatever. <laughs> Um, I heard that supposedly like this actually might be a Hulu release, which makes me worried. Makes you worried? Yeah, if it's like a straight like streaming release, like come on. But they've been doing that a lot lately, and it's not all bad. And Hulu has some mm. good shows. That's true, but like, but like I said, that's just like a rumor. So I really don't want to add anything more to it, other than like I hope it's not true. Okay. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I don't know why I brought it up. <laughs> just. Ignore Mark. Yeah, and, and ignore those and kids. Ignore him for the rest of the show. Yeah, <laughs> just, it's just me and the kids on the podcast now. Yeah, I'll just start off my mic. <laughs> just getting back. <laughs> All right, what do we, what do we got next? Uh, we are going to do our recent review of Old. No kids allowed on the beach. What? That's not true. Oh no! Oh no! We never leave each other. Nothing separates us. Are we there yet? You said five minutes. Technically, it's been more than five minutes. Let's just all start slowing down. Wow. Can you believe I found this online? I guess it's not that secret a beast. Whoa. Who would leave this? From the hotel! They're so rusted! What's happening? Found stuff from the hotel in the sand. Ready or not, here we come! What happened to her mom? I don't know. What happened to her? body has decomposed. How quickly can that happen? Seven years. But she just died. Wait, where are the kids? Trent! Kara! Come here! Hey, have you seen my children? Mom? I'm, I'm right here. <laughs> Dad, why are you looking at me like that? 
what's happening to us. My daughter just turned six two weeks ago. Mom! Whatever's happening to us is happening very fast. You have wrinkles. The synopsis is, a family on a tropical holiday discovers that the secluded beach where they are relaxing for a few hours is somehow causing them to age rapidly. Written and directed by M. Night Shyamalan, based on the graphic novel by Pierre-Oscar Levy, it stars Gal Garcia Bernal, Vicky Creeps, Rufus Sewell, Abby Lee, Nikki Amuka Bird, and Ken Lung. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, I was very curious about this movie. You were. You, I, I remember it was either between this or Snake Eyes for like our choices of recent review and i kind of really want to do snake eyes because it looked really it looked ridiculous and you know my my just dis, my disgust for m night Shyamalan's work was just like i don't want to watch this shit <laughs> um but yeah you know you, you were you were really you weren't like adamant about it but you're like come on i'm like really interested about like, I was interested, but also we've done a lot of really dumb action movies lately, yeah, yeah, and I yeah. just kind of wanted a break. Yeah. Um, and I wanted to see if this one was going to be good or not, because it seemed like he was getting back to his roots with this one a little bit, mm-hmm. which is like, let's do something that you have to kind of think about. Yeah, yeah. Or make it, um, I would say, I would say make it sense or make sense out of it. Not like his past films, where it's just like like or like he's trying too hard you know like this one seemed like it had a simple premise yeah and he could do something great with it yeah like it almost could be like i guess you say almost like a character study yeah because it's like okay what happens if you're somewhere and you are aging rapidly like how do you deal with that exactly yeah so um i want to say that let's start with the direction okay what did you think of the direction the direction was good Mm -hmm. um I, there weren't very many. There were a couple, but not very many parts that were so slow that I was, like, losing interest or something. Like, the pacing for me was good because it gave you enough time to think and digest. Mm-hmm. But there were other areas where there was suspense, too. And then after, yeah. like, you get so immersed into it mm-hmm. that you actually need those spaces to digest what you've just seen. Yeah, yeah. This movie does a... This movie is a... It's about an hour and 48 minutes, and I think it I think it actually used it pretty well. Yeah. Um, I, the cinematography was great. They had a lot to work with, Yeah, I feel like, because obviously it's really hard to make a beach look ugly. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah, I, never, I didn't even think about that. Um, well, except will, if you're in L.A. <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry, go on. Um, the rocks that they have in the background, uh-huh. like the big cliffs and everything... Those look a little too t- CGI for my taste. Ah, okay. So, what what exactly do you think of the cinematog- cinematography, if you liked it or not? It's from the Emmanuel Lubezki guy, isn't it? No. Oh. No, 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 no. But I want to I want to hear what your take on it because I want to tell you what work he's done. Oh, okay. Um, I like the colors, mm-hmm. the use of negative space. Oh yeah, that's great. Yeah. Um, and I think he did a few track shots, um, or, or something close to it where it was like you turn and something happened, nothing's happening. You turn again and there it is. 
Okay, so the cinematographer is Mike uh, Gulowski. <laughs> that sounds like a made-up name. I know, right? This is what his work is, and I think you will actually appreciate this. So he's done Us. Oh. Jordan Peele's Us. But check this out. He did It Follows. Oh, okay. And I remember you loved that movie. That movie was great. And I think that's where you can see the the negative space his yeah. work in negative space and i will agree his his use of negative space is really great one thing i have i absolutely applaud m night Shyamalan for this movie is that and this is comes kind of shocking because i have not shied away of my dislike of his work mm-hmm. his, his his recent his like maybe it's like five recent like films glass and shit like that yeah like glass and the visit and the happening and stuff like that um he this movie's PG thirteen. He figures out clever ways to get around, like the PG thirteen rating, because there are people who get stabbed like as shit in this movie, mm-hmm. and he figures a way how to like get around it that allows it allows the audience or me um, to be like still like shocked, like holy shit, and it, you can picture the gruesome death in your head without actually visually seeing it. And, yeah. I, and I had to apply uh, M. Night for doing that. And I was just like, okay, cool. I'm liking how he's you know, he's figuring his way around it. Mm-hmm. There's this one particular shot. I'm not going to go too in detail. I'll, I'll try to remember in spoilers. There's a particular shot where um, something really intense is happening. And he's he's like swinging the camera around to get everybody's reaction. Mm-hmm. And their reaction coupled with like what's going on off scene. Mm-hmm. It like... It amps it up, and it's I just. I think a, that's part of like what I was talking about track shots. I, it wasn't really a track shot, but you know what I mean. Like yeah. it was definitely like not a static shot and like cutting to another camera. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly, exactly. So it's that part was really it really worked for me. Like I'm I'm shocked to chase. I'm kind of shocked to say I actually enjoyed it. <laughs> <laughs> I actually enjoyed this movie, and I like I said, I do not like hate. I do not like Lady in the Water. I fucking hate the last airbender movie um every time you say lady in the water mm -hmm. it brings me back to when i worked at a movie store okay and that movie came out lady in the water yeah was that the one with harrison ford and like that movie came out and i was working at the movie theater and me and cisco were kind of newly married Lady in the water yeah okay so like Like, it has, like, this weird early 2000s feel for me, and I never saw it. <laughs> it's very 2000s. Um, so what did you think of the uh, the performance? Anybody stuck out for you? Um, mm, so, I, first of all, I hate to be that person, mm-hmm. okay? I don't think it's a bias. Mm-hmm. I have a hard time with roles Mm. you know like a a story that plays out and the people have an accent because sometimes their their lack of fluidity and how they talk in english Mm. takes away from their fluidity in their role oh i get what you're saying yeah yeah i don't i don't think no because i i i I, i've gone the same way Mm -hmm. um uh like i've been watching ted lasso lasso and they have a lot of British actors in there, and they have like the Spanish dude. Uh, I, forgot his, I forgot the character's name, but some of the British people, while they're talking, it sounds almost like jargon. 
yeah. like why they're doing it and it sounds weird like i'm just like like you're making me you're like skip it's like it feels like they're skipping words mm-hmm. even though they're not inten- even though they're not doing it my brain is like ee, 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 like trying mm-hmm. to process it and they're already like onto like the next part of the dialogue or something right. so i get i get what you're saying are you referring are you referring to vicky cribs like how her accent kind of yeah. yeah i'm with her i'm with you there and too. it kind of made i feel like it her accent and the way she was acting mm-hmm. she had some really great scenes don't get me wrong oh yeah yeah but she just felt very stiff for most of it. Yeah. And um, and I think it was mostly because of her that mm. it took me a little while to get into the film. Mm, okay. Once I was okay. in, I was in. Mm-hmm. But I also feel that Gael Garcia Bernal had mm. a hard time bouncing off of her in the roles where they yeah. were a couple and talking. Yeah, like that, that first scene, um, the first like five minutes where they're like, the family's like on that bus. Mm-hmm. It was just like, whoa, like, who the fuck wrote this? It was weird. Yeah. Like, th- like that's that's where, I'm sorry, it, not that it was weird. That's when I started seeing, like, the unbalance in uh, M. Night's writing. Because, mm-hmm. like, he can't, like, he's one of those directors that, like, popped off too early in his career with Sixth Sense. And, like, he had Sixth Sense. Boom, blew the fuck up. He did Unbreakable. Boom, blew the fuck up, right? Mm-hmm. And he did Signs. Signs. Kind of still blew up, but you know that ending is questionable and stuff like that. But I feel like he was one of those guys who like really didn't like no one really told him like, hey, like work on this a little bit more. Yeah. And I feel like the first five minutes is like it reminded me of that. That's why at the beginning I was kind of like, oh fuck, I feel like I'm gonna hate this one too. But as it got better, I feel like it got it got more uh, fluid. It got like you were saying fluid, like the more fluidity of it with the dialogue and the character interaction mm-hmm. stuff like that. Especially like later on in the movie when they're further down the line in the beach, mm-hmm. I feel like I got it, it. It finally was getting really good. Right. Yeah. Yeah, that's exactly what my sentiment is. Mm-hmm. Um, I almost couldn't care for anybody else other than uh, Rufus, Rufus Sewell. He's the doctor. Yes, I believe that was the doctor. I like him, Abby Lee. I uh-huh. feel like. I've seen her before, and she is drop dead gorgeous. Yeah, I think she's been in like a horror movie or something. Uh, let me find. Yeah, because oh, 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 was she in um, Neon Demon? Yes, she was. She was one of the girls from Neon Demon. Mm-hmm. She was also one of the wives in Mad Max Fury Road. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. She's not a great actress, though. She's really not. I think she's. I think she's all right. She's not great. She's like. I feel like she's a model who became an actress. Oh, I take that back. I think, okay, I think she's a good actress when given the material because she was the homegirl from Lovecraft Country. Oh, yeah, that's where I know her uh-huh. from. Yeah, so I think it's with the, with the material, I think she works out well. I th- and to tell you the truth, I want to. But she re- was kind of stiff in that, though, and I feel like it was mm. just because it was written kind of campy is why she could get away with it. Lovecraft, Lovecraft, sorry, Love. Craft Country. Yeah, because it's a that move that show's a little campy, but not like distractingly so. Uh, I think it was. I think you can really see the like I said, her acting is good, but I think you can actually still see the level of stiffness because she was she had a bounce off of uh, what's her name, uh, Yunmi uh, Ma Masaku, the 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 girl from the girl who played Ruby. In oh, Wunmi Masaku. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, like Wunmi was like 
hella good in that. Right? Yeah, yeah. It, it's that whole thing that I'm always saying about how like there are particular actors who run circles around other actors. Yeah. And it was kind of like that with Abby Lee and Lovecraft Country, even though she was able to kind of keep up. But I think in old, I think her performance kind of worked well for, for that character. But her character, because her character was shallow as fuck. I know that. I think that's maybe annoyed me a bit. Mm, okay. I get that they have to have someone in in that group. They didn't have to have to, but. Mm. They put that stereotype in there. Oh, she's mm. gorgeous. Let's make her fucking shallow. Mm, yeah, yeah, yeah. I see. What you're saying. Um, I feel like it may be a step back for her career, as far as like characters she can play. Ah, uh, okay. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like maybe, maybe after this, she needs to have like some like thought-provoking role or some shit. Something that's gonna be like, oh, she can act. I. Forget her in old. Let's see her in this or some shit. I, yeah, I honestly don't think she's going to do it, though, because I really am questioning if she could ever pull it off. Mm. I feel like she's always going to be, like, mediocre. And, oh, yeah, I saw her here. She's and, very, oh, yeah, she's gorgeous. She's very pretty. Like, she's got those really... And uh, she even has that gap in her teeth that are, like... Mm-hmm. You can't help but, like, like that. Yeah, she's got a movie coming up called, like, The Forgiven. Um but I bet you she doesn't have the lead role. I don't know. Oh, she might. She's the top bill on it. Oh, she's in a. Oh, she's in a hell of a cast. Holy fuck! Jessica Chastain, uh, Chastain, uh, Ralph Fiennes, Matt Smith, Christopher oh, okay. Abbott. Wow, she's in a pretty good fucking company. Let's see if she doesn't play another cal- uh, callous or shallow character. <laughs> yeah, seriously. Well, we'll have to wait and see. Um, to me, I yeah. Gil, Gil Garcia Bernal, I I always love seeing that dude. Whenever he shows up, I love seeing him in anything. That dude's a, I've been following his career for years. I know we did that movie. Oh, bad uh, bad the education. Motorcycle di- Diaries. Bad, yeah, bad education. I remember we did that. We did the motorcycle diaries. Yeah, I liked him better in motorcycle diaries. Uh, yeah, he's great in Itumán Itu también. Um, I don't think we watched uh, that one yet. No, no, he's really great in like a Motos Perros. Uh, that dude's a really great actor. So it was it, seeing him in this movie. But it, it was weird because I didn't recognize him because he is getting older. Oh yeah, yeah. His age, yeah, age. Maybe, maybe that's why. <laughs> why <that cast. laughs> They're like, let's put him in this movie called the Old because he's old. Yeah, because he's old. He's still good looking though, but I just like didn't recognize him because he looks old. very feminine when he's younger. He didn't look so feminine. As yeah, he looked kind of age appropriate. It's it's kind of funny. Like he did. Okay, so he did. To me, he didn't. He didn't look age appropriate. Like at certain times, he did look like he would be a father of two kids. However, he looked like the two kids would just barely be like one and two. Because oh. <laughs> <laughs> he still has like that youthful look to to him. Yeah, I think maybe it's just because I'm not used to seeing him with shorter hair. Because mm, his hair wasn't all that long. Yeah, in bad education, he had long hair and. Motorcycle Diaries. He has short hair, but you know, he just looks so goddamn handsome in that movie. <laughs> um, okay, so you want to hop into the uh, spoiler section? Yes. Okay, so we're going to get into the spoiler section right now. You know, we talk about the movie in great lengths and all that kind of stuff. So um, if you folks don't want to be spoiled uh, about the movie Old, here's your spoiler bumper right about now. Hola. Hola. Soy Kelsey. <laughs> I like that part. Soy 
Gus. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, okay, so so let me let me start off by talking about the the camera shots. Okay, the, the one that I think really worked uh, worked really well. Um, so there's this really intense moment during the movie where uh, one of the kids is pregnant and she's going through the whole nine months of pregnancy, like right there. Mm-hmm. Right. And she's like birthing and everything like that. Right. So what, what Shyamalan does, uh, oh, sorry, what M. Night does is that he like does that thing where he like takes the camera away and like swings it and sees everybody's reaction. Mm-hmm. Kind of goes there, kind of goes back and everything like that. And I thought it was, I think, I think a, a less competent director would have made it dizzying. Very just like, whoa, 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 you know, like, I don't know what's going on. or Yeah, like, maybe shaky cam or something. Yeah, yeah. And the way how he was able to make it very fluid, like, it's funny because, like, he made it fluid with a track shot, but with the with the least amount of distance. Right. And I had to applaud him for that because I was like, wow, that was very creative because you still get me engaged in the film and you, like, spiked up, you, you raised my blood pressure because I'm just like, whoa, what's going to happen? How are they going to do this? This is really fucking intense and everything mm-hmm. like that. Um, and another shot that I really dug was the part where, uh, Rufus Swell, um, and it happens so sudden. Rufus Swell starts, uh. Is that how you say his last name? Uh, Sewell. Sewell. (laughs) I'll say Sewell. (laughs) He's Um, a Sewell guy. Yeah. Well, not in this movie. Shit. He's an (laughs) asshole. Uh, how, when he attacks, um. (laughs) <laughs> where he tags Aaron Pierre's character, Mitsa, he's a sedan. <laughs> but it's so cool because it, I mean, it's not. It's 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 interesting. Not interesting. I don't. It's a level of creativity that, like I said, gets around the whole R-rated thing, where the camera is just at the right angle where you can tell he's stabbing somebody, and you can see the knife enough where blood is on it, and you're like, "Holy shit, he's stabbing somebody!" And you can see like the clothing that's. Um, memorable in a way because you can see like because you know it's only like what like six people on the island or on the island on the beach so it's like okay it's not that person that person so it must be this person like he kind of built up to the fact that like he would attack this guy and then when it happens it still happens unexpectedly but in a creative matter that is not brutal or gory but you still feel like you still shock. you still feel the shock of it yeah you still feel the goriness of it without visualizing it mm-hmm. and i always have to applaud a director who can make me think of that without showing it to me. The same thing about the tent with the kids. Yeah. You know, when they're in there and they're talking to each mm-hmm. other, you can kind of tell that their hormones are getting the better of them. Oh, yeah, yeah. like they, the di- But they never show them really kiss. They never show them, like, they might, like, cuddle a little bit closer. Yeah, but they never show, but like, any they never any showed anything. It. And then all of a sudden she's pregnant and you're like, yep, knew that was going to happen. Yeah. But, like... It doesn't, yeah, they never showed them doing, like, they didn't have to tell you. It was good storytelling. Yeah, this was, like, a strong case of of tell but don't show. I yeah. Think that's, I think that would be used in this case. I, 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 whatever. Let's ignore that. Because, <laughs> like always, I'm an idiot. <laughs> so let's say that. Let's ignore that. Um, so, yeah, that with that, I was just like, okay. All like, right, he wasn't, me. he wasn't, he was leading the audience, but he wasn't telling them yeah what's that what's that ter- that's, what's that phrase you can lead a horse to water but you can't make him drink it yeah that's what he was there you go okay i like that one better i'm gonna use that one he was <laughs> leading us to drink the water and we did it on our own yeah exactly yeah <laughs> saved it <laughs> gave myself a high five for that one <laughs> give me a high five too you know because i helped you <laughs> <laughs> sad high five. 
Um, I kind of want to bring up, Mm -hmm. and I don't, I'm not going to jump too far ahead to like the ending ending, Mm -hmm. but after the scene where they're like, do you feel like they're dying in that coral? Mm -hmm. Then they kind of cut to like that lab. Yeah. And immediately it felt like goosebumps to me. Oh, the, the, the the book. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah. Like, I don't, I don't know if it was the color or like. Mm. That one particular story that I read that seemed to have stuck with me where the dad was like had a lab downstairs and he was like working on something and he accidentally turned himself into a plant. Okay. Um, like they had a lot of plants. Oh, yeah. Like yeah. little in little glass mm. like things like mm. planters or something like little yeah. ones. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Like succulents and shit. Yeah. So it made me I don't know why it just made me think of goosebumps just because of that. I, I would now they're kind of like help you kind of form it together i i think it i think it kind of helps you i think it kind of remind you of goosebumps because of how the shift it was yeah it was a shift too like yeah. they were you were stuck with them on this beach and then all of a sudden mm. here you are in this lab that's the catalyst to that yeah yeah and the lab is like not that far away maybe like a mile down the road but like the fact that that lab and that location is there yeah. and the like the the what's it word it seems like devious, it's there in the kitchen <laughs> yeah <laughs> and kind of like the devious things they're doing and shit like that, that yeah it makes you it kind of like it kind of made me like it made me question of like all right what's the morale level with this like is this is, is it, it, it do you make the sacrifice for the greater good or you just don't make that sacrifice at all mm-hmm. you know which i thought I thought M. Night did a really good job kind of, like, bringing that in there without kind of, like, hitting you over the head with it. Because this is my own conclusion I was coming to. So I don't know if it was his intention to have that, but I think it was very, uh, it was a very good choice to kind of be like, oh, here's a lab. They're doing these experiments, and people are dying for these experiments. But, hey, guess what? Like, thousands of other people are going to live for the sacrifice, even though these people don't know that they're involved in an experiment. Yeah. I kind of liked it, but at the same, like... It's bad because it's good bad. Mm-hmm. Like it's, it makes you question your own morality in a way because yeah, yeah. you mm-hmm. weren't a part of that and you were no way like condoning it. But a part of you is like, but can, this is science. Yeah, I can like I can see why they did this. Yeah, like they're not being like evil and mm-hmm. like they don't give you a feeling of evil. Mm-hmm. They give you a feeling of like we're really trying to help. Yeah, and you so you like you don't hate them. Yeah, and I know, and I think there was like a scientist. There was a scientist who who was still like bothered by like what they're doing. Like you know, he understood that like what they're doing is not it's not morally acceptable. But he was willing to be like, all right, I'm willing to put my thoughts and my soul on the line for the greater good. Right. Yeah, and then that and that was just like a matter of just like quick little dialogue and stuff like that. Yeah, but I think it worked well. I like that a lot. Um, a couple of other things I really liked mm-hmm. was uh, Charles, who was played by Rufus Sewell. Mm-hmm. I like that his illness was dementia. Yeah. Like, that made me happy, like, that they put a mental illness in there. Mm-hmm. Um, and that they also played him in a really realistic way where people of his age... Mm-hmm. 
could show their racist colors because sometimes dementia brings that out in people. Yeah, yeah. Um, and his wife or girlfriend or whatever, mm-hmm. um, Crystal, played by Abby Lee. Mm-hmm. I remember laughing. Oh, when her body was all like... Because, okay, so her condition was that she had um, brittle bones. Yeah. And she always was trying to get as much calcium as possible. Like Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so when she ages, and obviously they haven't really had anything to eat, mm-hmm. and she is going after these kids because she's looking at, like, they're looking at her um, because she's aging and she doesn't want to be seen and all this stuff, and they kind of crawl into a hole, and she starts breaking bones and then throwing a fit. <laughs> and the more she threw a fit, the more bones she broke, and she uh. was just like... Like, like shaking and like rolling yeah. and like all kinds of stuff, like wildly, like uh, almost having a seizure in there and, and all of her bones broke. And then they were setting that in those weird angles. Uh, and I was cracking up because yeah, it she, just looks so funny. She kind of looked like a crab stuck on her back. I know. <laughs> all right. So check this out because I knew that woman looked so fucking familiar. So the, so the, uh, so the actress who played uh, Maddox at an adult age, mm-hmm. that's the teacher from Matilda. Really? Yeah. <laughs> so I was like, why is she Why she look so familiar? Why does she look so good? Like, holy shit. <laughs> <laughs> I just want to point that out because I'm like looking at like the people who play like the actors and stuff, the older versions of them. What about the guy? He looked familiar too. Uh, Iman Elliott. Uh, oh, oh, oh. What? Oh, he was in Prometheus. Jesus Christ. No. Uh, it was a couple of few things. Uh, he was in The Force Awakens. No. Maybe that's where I remember him from. Filth? Okay, I'm sorry. I'm going way off. Okay, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, I'm trying to think what else. Though. So, Okay. There's a. I'm trying to think of the negative. Oh, so here's there is a bit of a negative I do have for this movie, and other than the stiffness of the one actress, yeah, and then like the first like five or ten minutes where it was just like kind of rough. Like I feel like it it was still rough. Yeah, for the first maybe half hour with her, but not as bad as the first five or ten minutes, and then it didn't get fluid till after the thirty minutes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There was you know what there was this part. This is really great part where um where uh, what's her name. Uh, so it was uh, Gail Garcia Bernal and Vicky Cripps uh, how uh, they had reached an age where they were like really old and they were on the beach that was a very touching scene I loved it I thought that was yeah I agree I thought that scene was really great and it it was something that it was like it was like you saw not only did you see these people age within like uh, like a day like so rapidly but you see like the relationship you see a relationship that would develop over years in a matter in a matter of hours Mm -hmm. and how them to how like they were on that island and how uh uh gil garcia bernal he was his character was like sitting there he was like i don't remember why we wanted to leave this island it's beautiful it's so beautiful and he's like whatever we're fighting about i i don't remember but i'm glad we stuck together yeah so it was like in a way of like this kind of like chaotic beauty Mm -hmm. and like almost like a I mean, it's fucked up that they died, like, so fast. But it was, like, in a way, kind of seeing a silver lining of, like, well, at least we got to, like, essentially die together. In a way, I kind of saw myself in that couple. Really? 
Yeah, because, um, like, it's kind of like I could, I get sentimental like that, too. Mm -hmm. You could tell that they had so much love for each other. And, like, for me, like, I feel like I'm filled with that kind of love. Yeah. I don't know. It's kind of wild. I don't know how to explain it. Um, But, like, she was going deaf in one ear. Mm. And he was going blind. And they were, like, she would turn her head so that she could hear him with her good ear. Mm. Or he, like, knew to talk into her good ear. Yeah. And she was, like, taking care of him like he couldn't see. Yeah, and they pretty much, like, needed, like, each one had a sense that was taken away, but they were able to still work together, especially when they were, like, defending themselves Mm -hmm. from um, the Charles character when he was attacking them. Mm -hmm. Like... Like, he was able to use his hearing to hear the guy coming, but she was able to use his sight to, like, cover him up or to, like, see where he was so she can't attack him. Yeah. So it was kind of like a, a almost like a, a bonding moment during, like, an attack. It was kind of weird yeah. how, how he did it, but I think it was really well how M. Night had um, shot that scene. Um, I don't like how everyone seemed to age at different rates. Yeah, that was pretty weird. It seemed like the kids were, like, aging slower at, at a point. Yeah, like, um, Guy and Prisca, they aged very, to me, rapidly. Mm-hmm. Because they got, well, the kids were aging rapidly, and then they stopped. Mm-hmm. And then the adults were aging to the point where they were so old they were going to die. Yeah. But their kids were still, like, in their mid-teens or, like, low-teens. Yeah, yeah. The um, the cat's, uh, the uh, son, um, Trent, he was, like, at age 15 for a minute. Yeah. And Maddox was at age 16 for about the same length of time. It wasn't until, like, you got a sense that it was at least six hours went by that mm-hmm. they were, like, much older. They were, like, adults. Yeah, like, 50 50- Two or something. Yeah, or, yeah, at least like in their late forties. They they were having wrinkles on them. They look like they were in their early to mid fifties to mm-hmm. me, mm-hmm. at least. Um. So yeah, I actually liked this movie. I was a little bit on the fence, uh-huh. but then I kind of realized that like it had a few issues, but mm. it was actually very good. It was very thought provoking and like. The character study thing is always something that I love. Yeah, yeah. The, so yeah, I mean, like I'm, I'm the same way. Like I did like this movie. I would have actually liked it more if they had, if M Night had ended the movie at a certain point. Oh yeah, that's right. Because I felt like he played it too safe with that ending. Like, because you know, at the end of the movie, you know, the 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 kids they get out. They one of them goes to a cop, which I don't even remember that interaction at all. Because he was like, "You're a cop, right?" I don't remember. I remember that because yeah. he was going through and he's asking like, well, oh yeah, yeah. okay. Remember he had a little notepad and he was like, what's your name and what's your occupation? Okay. And then the other girl's like, my name's blah 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 and I'm a dancer. After okay. he after he talked about okay. being okay. a cop. So I mean that that's not that's not my issue with it. I'm glad I'm glad you reminded me because I completely fucking forgot that. Uh. But just like how it happened too fast, where like the guy calls the police or the cop call calls it in and then like the military comes in or the other police come in. It like happens. It happened, like, way too fast. They were tying up loose ends that didn't need to be tied up. Yes. Because for how well Mm. he led 
the audience to come to the conclusions that he wanted the audience to come to throughout Mm. the film. Yeah. He didn't trust the audience at the end to come to any conclusion of their own. Exactly. That is perfectly surmising. Yep. Wrapping it up. Here you go. They got out. The end. They're in a helicopter. They're going to go live with their aunt. You know, they want to look at the island. I know. Like, I would have loved to have dissected the film with you and been like, well, if they got out. Mm-hmm. Like how fucked up will their lives be now? Exactly. Like who's gonna take care exactly. of them? Exactly. Like they they could he could have in the movie with him approaching the cop and then maybe giving the kid that letter, the one that like gave him like uh, they gave him the clue to get out. Mm-hmm. You know, he, they could have like they could have stopped it there, and you would. That's where like it could have like started discussions like, well, were they you know how did they like how was their lives after or did the people actually get in trouble or was the government funded like you could have like had all these questions mm-hmm. and open up discussion but like yeah he he tied it up at the end like too neatly you know instead of like just letting audience think like well what what might have happened he's like no no this will happen don't worry about it yeah they're you're, just gonna go live with their aunt with their aunt yeah, and they're fine. gonna probably die before her because yeah. they're older than her now yeah you're fine everything's good. Happy ending. Da, yeah. da, 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 da. <laughs> um, all right. Is there uh, anything else uh, we need to talk about this movie? No, or are we done? I think we're done. Are you sure? Yes. Yes. So once again, I feel like I have to say this. I feel like I have to say this. I actually like this M. Night movie. <laughs> <laughs> I'm shocked to say it myself. <laughs> all right. So uh, what we got to uh, make sure you got my cute. All right. What do we got next? <laughs> next, we're going to do our variety time. So, um, our geriatric cinematic this week is whatever happened to Baby Jane. So, instead of doing our Berserk tribute that we still need to get back on, mm-hmm. um, we decided that... We were going to do the story behind whatever happened to Baby Jane. And and not the story that, like, this is what it's based off of. Not like that. Mm. Um, It it revolves around Betty Davis and Joan Crawford. Apparently, they had, like, a huge feud (laughs) that Uh I know nothing about because Mark is the one who researched it. Yeah, yeah. So, so, so whatever happened to Baby Jane, it's... It, one, it's it's a good movie. Like it's it's known as a good movie. It's known as a, as a classic. It actually known to start it's to start a genre, but what also goes with it is the legendary feud of of Betty Davis and Joan Crawford and how it affected the production and like everything. So yeah, we're we're gonna talk about like this legendary feud. I found I found a couple of great articles that broke it down. I found this article on uh bazzers uh on the website bazzers that the name of the article is a timeline of the real feud between betty davis and joan coffers written by emma uh dibden okay so what happens is that the feud actually started back in supposedly started back in 1933 okay this is pre-world war ii guys (laughs) so what happened was that crawford began her on-screen career at a at a younger age a younger age than davis okay uh crawford's first performance was like in 1925 okay uh, Davis had already been established as an actress, and she had moved to. Uh, uh, oh, sorry, she was already established as a, as a star in Hollywood by 1930. Okay, so the most the first public incident was um, the it says the first public incident of tension between the pair came out at Crawford upstaging Davis and what would become a recurring theme. In 1933, Davis was 
had reached a pivotal moment in her still nascent career. The comedy The Ex-Lady would be the first to feature her name above the title at Warner Brothers, okay? Um, Warner Brothers had, a, had an elaborate publicity campaign announcing Davis in her next phase of stardom until Crawford announced that she was divorcing her first husband, uh, Douglas Fairbanks Jr., on the same day. <laughs> so which, uh, remind me, which one's Davis and which one's Crawford? Uh, Davis is the blonde, Crawford is the brunette. What? Because it's just so much like the movie. <laughs> yeah. So according- Isn't it? And they even play those same kind of like one upstaging the other. Like, mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> so what happened was that according to bi- biographer David Brett, uh, the New York Times relegated Davis's film to a small paragraph in the review section while, the, while devoting several pages of Crawford's news in their, in their newspaper. Okay. X-Lady was later dropped after like a few weeks of poor ticket sales. Okay, so 1935, Joan marries the actor Bet Bet loved. Okay. Oh my God. Okay. Betty, no, it's Betty Davis. Yeah, yeah, Betty Davis or Betty Davis love. Okay, she said, "I have never forgiven her for that, and never will." She did this during an, an 87 interview with uh, journalist Michael Thornton, uh, 52 years after defining the incident lifelong hatred of Crawford. In 1935, Davis starred in the drama called Dangerous and fell in love hard for her co-star French, uh, French hot tone. Okay. Okay. I know it's a weird name. Um, Davis had said, uh, I fell in love with French, uh, professionally and privately. Everything about him reflected his elegance and his name to his manners. Right. So what happened was that Crawford got the tone first and they announced their engagement uh, during the filming of Dangerous, she said, Davis said he was madly in love with her. They met each other. Uh, uh, they met each day for lunch. He would return to the set face covered in lipstick. He was honored with his uh, great star. Was in love with. Um, he was. He was sorry. He was honored. That's weird. Okay. He was honored. This great star was in love with him. I was jealous of of her. Of course, uh, Crawford. Uh, quoted as saying that Tone thought Betty was a good actress, but he never thought of her as a woman. What the fuck? <laughs> I know. <laughs> uh, Davis did said uh, she took him from me. Uh, she did it coldly, deliberately, and in complete ruthlessness. Okay, so then there's like 1936, there's like a dress incident that happens, but you know, it's kind of like, man. So 1943, Joan successfully attempts the truce. Okay. So what happened was that supposedly Joan Crawford had, had actually tried to get a truce between her and Betty Davis. Um, now Crawford had moved to Warner brothers from MGM and Davis was there as well, but Crawford actually wanted her dressing room adjacent from Davis. Um, and what happened was that Crawford had reportedly sent numerous gifts and flowers next door in a bid to win Davis over and, all of all of them were returned. Oh wow! Like just no. Okay. <laughs> so what happened was that in 1945, Crawford had her heart set uh, on a title role uh, film noir called uh, Mildred Pierce, and got her wish when Davis, the studio's first choice, turned down the role. What happened was that the director, like Michael Currents, had reluctantly hired Crawford, and then what ended up happening was that. Uh, Crawford won an Oscar for that role. <laughs> so the few continued. Two years later, Crawford would take another lead role, originally intended for Davis, in the crime drama Possessed, and won another 
Oscar oh my God. for that role. Okay. Okay. So then in 1950, there was a rumor that started that supposedly uh, Betty Davis thought that Joan Crawford was in love with her. Really? Yeah, okay, so here Probably we go. Probably because she was sending all those gifts to her and stuff. Well, here's what happens. Is, uh, given the comparison, uh, uh, it's no surprise that some producers were keen to get Davis and Crawford on screen together, okay? Uh, the woman in prison drama Cage was intended by Warner Brothers as a joint uh, venture with Davis and Crawford. Uh, but Davis supposedly uh, refused to sign opposite of Crawford. Uh, and she called it, because she, she called it the movie like a dyke film, Okay. Crawford, who had relations with women and men uh, throughout her life, um, was suspected by some to have a harbor sexual curiosity of Davis. Uh, Frenchette isn't interested in Betty, but I wouldn't mind giving her a poke if I was in the right mood. Crawford was quoted by a friend, Jerry Asher. Um, Asher did say, wouldn't it be funny? Asher, yeah, Asher asked, like, wouldn't it be funny if Crawford was serious? So he, uh, he could have been, been a jab. She probably did like her. It could have been a jab. It might have been not, you know, whatever. Um, so 1952, the romantic drama The Star was written by Crawford's longtime friend, Catherine Albert, supposedly as a retaliation after falling out. Davis was cast in the lead role um, of a washed-up actress clinging desperately to her fading star, a tiny, veiled, deeply unflattering depiction of Crawford. <laughs> so Davis is, like, seeing this script by, like, Crawford's, like, former friend, mm-hmm. and is like... Oh, this script's good. Are you talking shit about Crawford? And the friends, uh, Catherine, Catherine Albert's like, yes. He's like, put me in it. I want that role. <laughs> but you know what's funny? Hmm. You could just see that as her taking more leftovers. Yeah. yeah you know what true. I mean? That's because very she's true. still playing Joan Crawford, that's even if true. it is her being washed up. Yeah, that's very true. Okay, so 1962, Whatever Happened, Baby Jane ha- starts, right? What happened was that Crawford actually pursued Davis to sign on for the movie. Crawford wanted her in this role. So mm-hmm. there was still like amount of like respect. Okay. So though the film was an unexpected box office success, it did not, it did some extent uh, represent the comeback that both actresses desperately needed. It became remembered mostly powerfully as a public document of the real life rivalry. At this time, um, Hollywood, because you know, there's only like, it, it sucks how Hollywood is, but in Hollywood, like there's only like so many years a female actress has. In that, because they're, they're look, because they can be like 30 something, look beautiful, but still they'll be like relegated to like mother roles or something like that, right? Yeah. So, this at a time where like they were, their age was catching up, their stardom was like kind of uh, waning, and they saw this script and they were like, like, I, we got to be in this movie, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. So, Davis agreed to sign on to Baby Jane on two conditions. That she played the title role of Jane and that the film's director, Robert Elrich, assured her that she was not sleeping with Crawford. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, She said during... Uh, Well, it doesn't matter that, you know, Crawford was laying in the sand next to her. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Uh, So Davis has said, it wasn't that I cared about his private life or hers either. I didn't want him favoring her with more close-ups. Um, they did both get a lot of close-ups. So. Yeah. Okay. So here's here's the the level of the feud while they were shooting whatever happened to Baby Jane. Crawford was on a Pepsi's uh, board of directors at the time. Her husband, her late husband Alfred Steele, was a Pepsi uh, executive. So Davis had a Coke machine installed in her dressing room just to spite her. <laughs> 
and one scene where Jane beats Crawford's character Blanche, Crawford uh, requested a body double because she didn't trust Davis not to hit her for real. Supposedly, Davis did really hit Crawford, and she had to get stitches. Oh, shit. Okay. Um, She was reportedly proved right during a close-up in which a body double could not be used where Davis hit her head. Hit hard in her head. Some reporters claim hard enough to require seizures, though Though Davis insisted that she was barely touched. Yeah, okay. Okay. Crawford got her payback during the filming of another scene. This is the part where I started laughing while watching the movie. Uh, where Jane drags Blanche out of the bed. Do you remember that scene when she like pulls her out of the bed? Mm-hmm. And across the room. Knowing that Davis had her back problems, Crawford made herself heavy as possible, either by filling her pockets with rocks, wearing a weightlifter's belt, or simply making herself dead weight. (laughs) (laughs) Depending on which report, you know. And she had to do that shit in those little heels, too. Exactly. And you know that had to be like... All right, that take didn't work. Let's try it again. Let's take that. Let's try this take. Let's try this take mm-hmm. over and over. So she had to do it over and over again. And that scene where she's carrying her, I remember looking like laughing, but still thinking like, oh, that would fuck up my back so badly. <laughs> um, so, yeah, like and reportedly like Crawford purposely ruined the takes, forcing Davis to do it over and over and over again. <laughs> OK, so then 1963 comes along. Right. This is the Oscars. OK. Even when filming was wrapped on Baby Jane, the tension kept simmering. Uh, Helped along by the Academy, which opted to give Davis an Oscar nod for her performance, along with the supporting actor, Victor uh, Buno, while overlooking Crawford. Oh, no. Not only did Crawford campaign against Davis hard, she, um, who was favored to win for Best Actress, Crawford made arrangements to upstage her at any cost whatsoever. Okay, so Crawford noted that several of the year's nominees were not going to be able to attend the ceremony. So what she did is she offered to collect the Best Actress Award on their behalf. So when the absent Anne uh, Bancroft uh, name was read out, Crawford went up to accept the award (laughs) on her behalf as Davis watched and shocked. And pose happily with Ban- with Bancroft's award alongside the nice actual winner backstage. Oh my god, <laughs> that's so fucked up. Okay, so then there was a sequel. Um, I forgot the name well, of the sequel. So it doesn't say if um, Betty Davis actually got an award. No, she was nominated for best actress. Let me see. Uh, she was nominated for best actress, but it went but it went to it went to Anne ba- Bancroft instead. Oh oh oh. Yeah. So instead of like David, gotcha. yeah, Crawford's like, <laughs> I know you didn't win, but guess who's on stage? <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, so in 1964, uh, hoping to replicate the success of Whatever Happened to Baby Jane, Warner Bros. commissioned a spiritual sequel uh, called Hush, Hush, Sweet Charlotte. It was based on a short story by Henry Falwell, the guy who wrote the Baby Jane book. Okay, Crawford dropped out after a week and a half of filming, claiming that she was unwell. But uh, she was, in fact, still reeling for the um, indignations of Baby Jane and felt the risk of being upstaged by Davis again. Okay, though uh, the director... Uh, hired a private detective to track Crawford's movement. He was he was unable to get her back on the set. Like mm-hmm. he wanted her to stay there, and he finally like chose to recast it. Um, oh, so he had a choice to either like recast it or cancel the movie altogether. After several actors turned down the part, Olivia D. Uh, Havilland was finally hired as Crawford's place. So, and and I and I know 
uh, yeah, Betty Betty Davis is in this movie, but like Crawford was just like, I don't want to be part of that, like at all. Right. Okay, so which is funny because she was the one who wanted Betty Davis in the movie. Yeah, yeah, that's supposedly, but like I don't doubt that because um, there there has been pictures of of Betty Davis and Joan Crawford on set. Mm-hmm. Like smiling and like laughing and just joking and stuff like that. So there is some They're like probably like grumpy old men. Yeah, probably. Yeah. You know, like they just love to fucking heckle each other, but like yeah, they also love each other. The the the, the funny thing is like between Betty Davis and Joan Crawford, even though they had like a, a, a they didn't like each other. If they even if they didn't like each other, they still had mad mutual respects for like their their the art and their performance and stuff like that. Like. They didn't let their feelings come in that way. They were just like, yeah, these people, like, they, like, Joan Crawford's good, Betty Davis' good. Like, they, they had high compliments about each other. Yeah. Um, during, in regards to their performance. Um, so, 1977, um, following Crawford's death in May, Davis is often quoted as have saying the following. You should never say bad things about the dead. You should only uh, say good. Crawford is dead. Good. <laughs> Oh my god! Wow. <laughs> but it's almost impossible to find like an actual source. But like, su- supposedly, like that happened. Like that's that that really did happen. Um, but also, like, I kind of feel like maybe Joan Crawford would have been like, "Yeah, that sounds about right. I can't be mad at it." Yeah, yeah. Okay, so <laughs> 1970, 1978. Okay, so whether or not Davis actually delivered that brutal uh, brief eulogy, she would ultimately soften towards Crawford, even coming to her old. Enemy's defense following the publication of Mommy Dearest, uh, a damning uh, memoir of Crawford's adopted daughter Christina that chronicled uh, the abuse she suffered at the hands of her mother. Um, you have never seen Mommy Dearest. I've seen it quite a few times. It's fucking brutal. It's about it's it's about this girl Christina, the adopted daughter of Joan Crawford, and how Joan Crawford was like a fucking monster. I wonder how much of that's true. Well. Here's what Davis had to say. She says, I was not Miss Crawford's biggest fan, but wisecracks to the contrary, I did and still do respect her talent. What she did, uh, what she did not deserve was the uh, detestable uh, book written by her daughter. To do something like that to someone who, who saved you from the orphanage, foster homes, who knows what. If she didn't like that person, uh, sorry, if she didn't like the person who chose to be her mother, she was grown up and couldn't choose her own life. Um, Davis went on to admit that she felt sorry for Joan Crawford, but I, this is her quote, uh, felt sorry for Joan Crawford, but I knew she wouldn't appreciate my pity because that's the last thing she would have ever wanted. Anyone being sorry for her, especially me, I can understand how Miss Crawford had to be. Well, no, I can't. It's like trying to imagine how I would feel if my own beloved, wonderful BD were to write a bad book about me. Unimaginable. Funny thing. 1985 BD Hyman. Betty Davis' daughter wrote, followed, followed Christina's Crawford's footsteps and wrote a book about the nightmare of being Betty Davis' daughter. <laughs> it's called My Mother's Keeper, in which she described Davis as a selfish, emotional, abusive alcoholic. Uh, for what it's worth, this account of Davis is much more con- uh, contested than the account of Crawford and Mommy Dearest, and public reaction has largely been sympathetic towards Davis. Um, Hyman's adopted Hyman's adopted brother disagreed so strongly with the book's publication that he disowned her. Oh wow! Yeah. So 
like I said, that's the timeline of like this like legendary feud. Like the other article I found, it kind of like covers the same thing with a little bit more detail. Um, so yeah, like this feud, like and people still t- people still talk about this feud to this day. There was a mini series on FX called Feud um, that was put together by Ryan Murphy, the guy behind uh, American Horror Story, mm-hmm. that starred uh, Susan Sarandon. And Faye Dunaway. I think it was Faye Dunaway. No, I don't think maybe it wasn't Faye Dunaway. That kind of like chronicles the whole like whatever happened to Baby Jane uh-huh. uh, type thing. Um, let me see. Uh, I got to find out what's it called. Well, not what's it called, but uh, let's see. So it's kind of like a, a heavier version of what like Hugh Jackman and Ryan Reynolds have going. Or is it them and like Ryan Gosling too? Uh, no, it's you, Jackman, and Ryan Reynolds, yeah. But I think someone else jumped in on it with them. Um, I think it was Ryan Gosling. No, I think it was Jake Gyllenhaal. I think Jake, Jake Gyllenhaal. I get them confused. Yeah, Jake Gyllenhaal is... Oh, Jessica Lane. Jessica Lane and Susan Sarandon. That's in the, it's, it's called Feud, Betty, and Joan. But see, like, where the Hugh Jackman and the Ryan Reynolds, it's playful. Like, That's just playful and, like, lighthearted. Yeah, you can tell, like, they're totally in on the joke. Like, I don't know how I got started or why I got started, but it's, it's something that's very entertaining. And I guarantee it was Ryan Reynolds. Yeah, I can totally picture that. I can totally picture that. Now we are going to do our geriatric cinematic of whatever happened to baby Jane. Sister, sister, oh so fair. Why is there blood all over your hair? Whatever happened to baby Jane? To seek the answer to that question, we will follow a man plotting a murder. Highly specialized work. But Robert Aldridge has considerable experience in such matters. He has a dozen successful pictures to his credit. His stars are Betty Davis and Joan Crawford. The scene, an Italianate villa in a once fashionable section of Los Angeles. Its halls, once crowded with the bright, the beautiful, and the celebrated, now echo only to hectic whispers, the insistent call of a buzzer better left unanswered, a telephone that has become an object of fear, a supper tray that will not be touched, a window barred against the world, a hammer, a mute scrawl crying for help. From these elements, director Aldrich has fashioned a motion picture with a curious title. Whatever happened to baby Jane? The synopsis is a former child store star torments her paraplegic sister in their decaying Hollywood mansion. Directed by Robert Aldrich, written by Lucas Heller, and is from the novel by Henry Farrell. It stars Betty Davis, Joan Crawford, Mady Norman, and Victor Buono. 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 He's ah, Italian. Buono. <laughs> Oh no! All right, so whatever happened to Baby Jane? Oh no! <laughs> um, I actually saw this movie maybe about five years ago uh, at a at a screening for the Secret Movie Club. Um, you did? Yeah, yeah. My my ex had invited me to go check it out, and I was like, "Yeah, sure." This is like when we were like just hanging out and stuff like that, and I was like, "Yeah, sure, I'll watch it." I didn't know you knew about the Secret Movie Club back then. Yeah, I've known about it for a while. Oh. Yeah, you're just not cool. 
whatever. Like that. I'm just, no, I'm maybe, cool, but I'm cooler after you. Maybe it wasn't Secret Movie Club. It might have been something else. Maybe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so, I, th- I this this movie is like one of like, it's on the top of like a thousand movies you got to watch before you die. Mm-hmm. Um, and I remember just like being so fascinated about this movie because I heard about the feud and I was like, well, I want to see what, con- what came up. This movie's twisted as fuck. <laughs> 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 uh, so I still enjoyed it. Um, but what, what's the more important question is what did Kelsey think about it? I really enjoyed this movie. Yes. Mm, 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 mm. Okay. Sorry. Why'd you like it? Tell me, tell me why'd you like it? Um, there's a couple reasons why. Okay. Um, I totally got emotionally invested in this movie because I know what it's like mm-hmm. to... If, if I was going to choose an allegory for what it felt like to be a child mm-hmm. to people who really were more self-involved than they had any right to be. Oh, okay, okay. And how torturous that felt at times. Yeah. This would be it. Hmm, okay, okay. Yeah, I... Wow, shit, I did not think of it at all like that. Even though maybe that was the director's intention. Um, but go on. Just how? How so? How, why, why did it make you feel like that? Okay, so obviously I would be the, the Joan Crawford the, person. Yeah, the person in the wheelchair. The Blan- Blanche. Blanche. Ugh, no one names her kid Blanche anymore. <laughs> no. uh, but yeah, you'd be the Joan, Joan Crawford character, the one... The star, mm-hmm. you know, you still you still are the rising star. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Um, are you sure? Yes. Um, so, Betty Davis would be my stepmother and, <clears throat> and my mother. Oh, okay. Oh, shit. Okay. And. I kind of picture her, pictured uh, the Drone Crawford, not the Drone Crawford character, the Betty Davis character more as like your sister. She never took care of me. Yeah, but I just like the self, the selfishness of it, of like, so, I okay. want this, I want that. Blah, 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 I, I, did, I this. mean, my mother is more like my sister than she would like to admit. Mm, okay. 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 So, um, my dad, he was never like, I don't know, he wouldn't really play a part in this. He he wouldn't be the he wouldn't be the Edwin character. No, that was just a joke. I know he wouldn't. Well, actually, no, because well, I'm thinking about it, mm-hmm. and this guy's like hella into his like composition and stuff, mm-hmm. and like, but my dad's not money hungry, and he's also not rude to people, mm-hmm. so it doesn't really fit. Well, I think like the like the kind of like the. I don't know. He had this kind of like snarkiness about him um, and very kind of self-righteousness. But like, but I, I can't say that. I can't say that about Papa Loizio now since I've met him and I think he's like gen- genuinely a, a really nice guy. Mm-hmm. But the way how you kind of described him in the past, he's kind of he was kind of like an asshole. Well, he's a guy. Yeah. Who doesn't always think things through. Mm, OK. OK. And that's exactly why he might sound like an asshole in some of the things that he did. Mm-hmm. And he should know better. <laughs> But he didn't honestly mean anything by it. Yeah. Gotcha. So you okay. can't you can't give him a pass because it was stupid shit that he should have known better. But mm-hmm. he is a nice guy. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. If okay. that makes any sense. Makes it makes complete sense. 
you know, except him call me a crybaby because it was fucking 80 degrees outside and humid and he wouldn't let me be inside. Oh, my God. <laughs> While he was inside? Yeah. <laughs> he never went outside. <laughs> you can't be inside. Take, go take the heat. I'll be yeah. in here in the AC. <laughs> I know. They Well, then they never used the AC. Oh, okay. But it was still cooler inside because it was well insulated. So it was always hotter outside or mm-hmm. cooler outside depending on the season. Gotcha, gotcha. Okay, so what is okay? So let's let's go ahead and break down this movie. Uh, are you ready to break down the movie, or you want to continue no. with? Okay. Oh, you you said no. Oh, you said or you want, and I said no to that. Oh, okay, okay. <laughs> okay. So I'm like, okay, let's not. Let's talk about your problems. <laughs> <laughs> not too many, you know. We can't really like talk about them on the show because we'll never stop recording. Yeah, that's true. I don't think we have enough memory. I know, the, the memory, memory card. The memory card just, just blow it would, up. You know, it stopped us recording a few times. Yeah, that's true. Okay. So what did you think of the performance between Betty Davis and Joan Crawford? Because, like, people just love the performance between the two. Well, because I think there's a lot of, like, genuine, sincere, like, mm. love-hate going on between them on screen. Yeah. Because of how their relationship is off screen. Yeah, yeah. Whenever I've I've always... Um, th- th- I mean, this doesn't happen every time, but like you can kind of get a sense of it in certain movies where where you hear like the 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 two leads or the lead actress, lead actor, or what, however it is, like they have like tension behind the scenes, and it like it brings out a much tighter, better performance. I think you're gonna hate me for bringing this up. Okay. The Notebook is one that people talk about for that. Why was there actually like hatred between the two? Mm-hmm. Oh, I didn't, they I, that I didn't know. They fucking hated each other. I did not know that. And okay. it really played well on screen when they were arguing. Okay, that makes sense because I've seen the Notebook, so I can totally see that. Um, I'll, I'll do you. I'll do you one as well. Uh, Mad Max Fury Road. Charlize Theron and, and and Tom Hardy. They were at each other's throats at that movie. Really? Yeah, but that performance between the two, I think, was fucking great. I don't think it actually really did anything for them on screen, though. Real? I thought it did because, like, how like untrustworthy that character was. How trust untrustworthy they both were to each other. They were untrustworthy, but they weren't angry. Mm. They played as people who didn't trust each other. Mm. They didn't play as people who were out to kill each other for the f- sake of they hated each other. They didn't hate each other. I got that sense. I, I that's what I that's how that's what I saw in, like when they first were interacting. In fact, other. I really thought that Tom Hardy uh-huh. was um kind of dead weight. I like that movie. Okay, well, all right, we'll, we'll talk about that movie another time because <laughs> we're we're on we're on Baby Jane. <laughs> so, please more details. What's more details than that? We keep we keep like squirrel. <laughs> Okay, so the the reward between the two. What 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 struck you uh between the two in that movie? I really got, I don't know if it was if makeup was even really a thing back in the day for mm-hmm. like I don't know what it is. Mm-hmm. But Betty Davis and I don't think I've ever seen any pictures of her. Mm-hmm. But I almost get a sense that Betty Davis was like the Marilyn Monroe of her time. Okay. Like she has those like big sleepy eyes, like those oh, yeah, really big does, eyes, yeah. you know. Mm. And like I almost get a scent, like almost like Betty Boop. Mm, you know yeah, what I mean? I just, yeah, like here, like here. I'll show you. I'll show you a picture right now. This is a picture of Betty Davis. Look how good she used to look. 
Yeah. I think that I think that still transfers well as she gets older. Like in a, I think it even looks better on her as she gets older. Yeah, she she looks a bit older in this picture I'm showing Kelsey, but she still looks good. She's like, let me see. She looks better than she did when she was younger because her eyes look a little sleepier. Like look at that. Like I, I think yeah. that's a great picture for. Her. And yeah, but with with um, with uh, whatever happened to baby Jane, like they slapped on all the makeup on I her I know, face. like, <laughs> you saw her, like, her eyelashes. Mm-hmm. It looked like they just kept clumping. Mm-hmm. So that she had, you could probably count, like, ten clumps of them. So she had, like, ten big eyelashes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, how... Ignore ignore this picture, this sad picture of Robert Smith from The Cure. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but, yeah, and I think I think that with, with the use of that makeup... Well, that's what he looks like. He has a new song out. Robert Smith from The Cure? Yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. He was singing with somebody. Ah. Um, I think with the with the added makeup on ba- Betty Davis, it really showed like the broken psyche of of the Jane character, of the baby Jane character. Yeah. How she just like losing her grip on reality. And, and in comparison, how Joan Crawford, mm-hmm. she looked almost stunning. Like. Mm-hmm. I don't know how to explain it. She wasn't like gorgeous in like a, a classic beauty kind of way, but she was very almost like like handsome. Mm-hmm. But she had very like um, you could feel the emotion in her eyes. Yeah. Um, I I think with the way it's a, like continue on with like the 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 look and the makeup of each character. Mm-hmm. How um, Joan thing- Crawford was a fucking stunner. Yeah, seriously. Even more gorgeous Betty Davis <laughs> she would probably kill me <laughs> yeah she's her, her ghost is gonna come back and like haunt you she'll probably give me stitches in my head <laughs> um so it, it's interesting because like with the two characters with Joan Crawford who looks who still looks stunning in this movie you know there's like when they entered when they show Joan Crawford she looks like almost like whimsical like she's got like these big eyes she's she looks like, like she's gonna have like three blue jays come flying exactly, through the window exactly like <laughs> like oh that's an inspiration of Snow White there we go <laughs> you know um, and then we get Betty Davis who looks like trash like just tragic she right? looks like the witch from snow white <laughs> yeah yeah right yeah and how we have these two characters who are like they're like this but as the movie progress like their truth starts coming out and one becomes more hideous than the other and the other one starts becoming more like regular looking at extent like when when joan crawford's character is like tied up and she has a she's like malnourished and shit like that mm-hmm. she looks horrible she looks like skeletal and stuff uh skeletal yeah skeletal skeletal right and it's like it's like that secret that was eating her up on the on the inside mm-hmm. about the fact that like sh- that uh she was driving that she was the one driving that she was the reason why she's crippled and everything like that it's like becoming more and more like a parent while uh betty davis is still looking kind of like it's still kind of looking like trash, but you start becoming more sympathetic with her mm-hmm. of like, oh, I can see why she's angry at her. Even though she doesn't realize why she's angry, I can see why she like lost her mind. I do have a small problem with the movie okay. when it comes to that. Okay. I'm totally with them on this, mm-hmm. and I don't think it's a huge stretch at all. Mm-hmm. So fine, it works. Mm-hmm. However, um, baby Jane Hudson was a piece of shit pain in the ass even when she was fucking seven years old oh yeah that's very true and i so i really it's it was a little hard for me to understand Mm. why she hated her sister so badly yeah um even if she didn't even realize it with the accident i just kind of felt like 
Joan, like, uh, Blanche got the short end of the stick because she got crippled. Mm -hmm. But, like, I don't feel bad at all that it got blamed on baby Jane Hudson. Mm, I get like, it. at all. And I almost am like, it might as well have been her because she was such a piece of shit asshole. Yeah, like, there was that part where, uh, where, like, Blanche, not Blanche, um, Baby Jane? Uh, no, no, I'm sorry. Actually, the Blanche character. When Blanche actually was telling Baby Jane, like, why the car act, why she tried to hit her. She was like, you were making fun of me at the party. Yeah. You know, and that's like, like, Blanche is like, she's always, she's always seen as like this innocent, very like happy or like very beautiful or very, um, sweet and sweet. nice. Yeah. And that, that attracts people. Like, even like that scene where like the two producers are like walking and talking, they're just like, you know. Uh, you know, Blanche is is great as an actress, but we gotta work with Baby Jane and blah 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 and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And you start like really getting that you already are already on her side of just like, wow, that's totally fucked up. That's totally fucked up and everything like that. And yeah, they paint Baby Jane to be like this monster, mm-hmm. like from the jump. You know, even though she, yeah, it's monster. <laughs> <laughs> so. The thing about this movie is uh, that I thought that I thought was really fascinating that um, the production of this movie was actually seven hundred fifty thousand dollars. That's really that's a low. lot of money back then, though. Yeah, but see, even back then, it was considered low. Okay. Oh, okay. However, the movie grossed over nine million dollars at the box office in two thousand seven. That would be close to eighty million dollars. Actually, close to seventy five million dollars. Well, how much would it have cost in 2007 money? Yeah, it probably would have cost, I don't know, maybe a couple mil. This seems like this is like a Bloomhouse production type of film or some shit yeah, like yeah. that. Yeah, um, yeah. Or A24. I'd love to see A24 do a remake. <laughs> oh, shit. <laughs> Cue the meme of the the cat with the pink flower being put on yeah, his head. Yeah, get his, his mind blown. Just, what? <laughs> that's that's the face that mark me <laughs> <laughs> yeah um so what do you think of the what do you think of the of the direction uh from robert uh Ulrich? i thought the direction was good mm-hmm. um they did a few kind of like of the time things mm-hmm. like how you didn't want to forget about the character upstairs like mm-hmm. you don't want to forget about blanche yeah so she kept coming out of her room at really awkward times and just kind of hiding behind walls and like wheeling around. And mm-hmm. then there was that funny scene where she's just wheeling herself around in circles, crying, oh, and screaming ha, ha, like, ha, "Yeah, it's, ah, <laughs> I know it was supposed to play like, oh my god, but it was really fucking." Funny. It, it was funny. Um, I just felt like they did the best they could with a woman in a wheelchair. But yeah, you they didn't do, really know what to do. You with could her. only do so much, and I think that's why even in this movie, it's more of a Betty Davis kind of type deal because you see more of her, you know, going to the bank or like working with the Edwin character and trying to like sadly restart her career. She can't sing worth shit anymore. Mm-hmm. But you really start getting into um, into her mental capacity, and I think that's I think that's where the movie really shines. Like this movie is great, but I think that's what really shines. Where if like you're just seeing this person slowly more and more lose their mind she was never able to grow past the age she was when she was on stage yeah she still even like had her like father this... didn't let her yeah she she even still had like the same hairstyle and stuff like mm-hmm. that and even when she was trying to like restart her career it was like all the music that she sang when she was like nine ten or some shit like yeah. that um so this movie actually like kick-started this kind of genre about like psychotic older women 
Um, it would later be dubbed psycho bitty subgenre. I like that. So like any movies where it's just like, oh, these old crazy ladies, like you can think whatever happened to, to Baby J. Yay. Yeah, I know, right? Yay, indeed. <laughs> um, so according to Robert... Oh, according to Betty Davis, uh, Robert Elridge had to convince Joan Crawford to like let go of this like glamorous look that she has. Um, Davis had said it took him an entire morning to talk her into removing her nail polish for a scene in which she came downstairs with her hand on the railing. <laughs> so you can tell like Crawford had just was on a like I am glorious wherever I am. Well, it's like, funny because it's like you kind of get a sense of like. Mariah Carey and Precious. Oh, yeah. oh yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah, because yeah. Because I feel like it was kind of hard for them to like, like, I would not undress physically, but like undress her. Like, yeah, the, that 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 uh, her her public her, persona, how her we diva, see her. Yeah, how so we so like de divify her. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. So that she could be a normal person, and she just was like, "Wow, I'm so ugly." <laughs> I remember um, she looked really downtrodden too, but I think that really has to do with like if you are an actual good actress, mm. you're gonna play that role no matter how you look, and you're gonna play it even better looking that way than you would if you had all the makeup and all of the glamorous things that you're used to. Yeah, I think that that that's actually funny because like back then that was really seen as like something uh like an actress or an actor you know had to like. Now, they, not necessarily strive for it, but when they did do it, people were just like, oh my god, they ugly themselves for this role. Holy shit, it must be a great role or something like that. Yeah. And now that's like kind of more of a joke. Like, oh, they're ugly themselves for a role. Yippee. You're like, like <clears throat> the best example I can remember of this is uh, Charlize Theron. Once again, bring up Charlize Theron in this in the movie Monster. Mm. How Charlize Theron is always seen as this beautiful woman, but she like really ugly herself up in that movie. Mm-hmm. Um and she ended up like winning an Oscar for it, you know. But like now, that's kind of seen as a joke. Um, in some cases, it can be actually be used to transform the uh, performance and actually elevate it, like uh, Viola Davis and Ma Rainey. Um, oh yeah, Black Bottom. But she, I felt like it was ugly, but it was also gorgeous in a really ugly kind of way. Yeah, yeah, like you know, she gained like, like all it was this art. Way. Yeah, oh yeah, exactly. Like it was like for the art of this, and it's so funny how. Joan Crawford, it was like so hard to get her like that, mm-hmm. and then Betty Davis was like, "Yeah, sure, just do this. <laughs> like, I'll, I'll do it for the movie." <laughs> yeah. Um. So this movie is actually considered Joan Crawford's last important film. Uh, after this film, she was relegated to several like low budget horror films, including the, her last picture, which is called Trog. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um. One, I I do have an issue. Some of the issue with the movie is with me is um, there was something about it that I, I can't I can't remember how it was so bothersome. I think it was maybe I think it was maybe like the last 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 minute where um, they're on the beach mm. and oh and everyone was moving in that circle around her. Yeah, yeah, and then well, there's that part where like Joan, there was like there was no need to choreograph that. Well, that not so much that, but like how they try to make it ambiguous if if Blanche did did live or die, because mm-hmm. like she's like laying down, and she, like uh, Betty Davis like gets up and she like goes to get ice cream and that whole thing happens. But mm-hmm. like the cop is like sees her and like the camera just 
it cuts to like a full like uh, almost like an establishing shot of a super white shot Mm-hmm. And it's just like you can tell the director was like, "Oh, let's see, like you know, maybe she lived, maybe she didn't live, whatever." It was just kind of that like, question never came into my mind. <laughs> I just assumed she lived because she was she was not doing very well at all. Mm-hmm. But she didn't seem like she was gonna die in the next minute to me. That's the thing to me. I felt like she was gonna die at the last minute, and I think like, I felt like she had like eight hours left or something. Which isn't a lot of time, but yeah. I didn't feel like she had a minute left. Yeah, <laughs> but I, I think like within the context of the movie, I, I think like she died, and I, I think it would have been much more tragic if like she did die, and then like how uh, what's her name? How Baby Jane like deals with that? Either she deals with it like oh my god, or just like I'm gonna keep dancing. La 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 la. I think I I, I don't know. I think that would have made them. I think it would made the ending much more hard hitting without putting that question there yeah at least that's how i saw it i saw it as she got saved <laughs> and her sister was happy finally mm-hmm. you know what if she got saved she still got away with it because her sister's her, too crazy to her, say anything i know her sister's locked up and once again blanche can just live off and be happy <laughs> <laughs> i have to give pro- we 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 have not we have not talked about her about the maid we have to talk about the maid, uh, who is uh, Madea... Maidy? Maidy Norman. First of all, love her. Second of all, hey, she got killed. <laughs> <laughs> but she didn't go out a bitch. Yeah, she wasn't like... Because at that time in Hollywood, you know, they would make... Not, not in all movies, not in all the movies around that time, but they could make... They would obviously make the movie where the minorities like, oh, jeez, what's going on around here? Blah, 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 and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But no, uh, Mady Norman was just like, I know something's up. Yeah. Open the fucking door. <laughs> <laughs> I just hate that she got taken out with that hammer. <laughs> I did too. Um, and it's funny because... Um, what nationality is she? Mady Norman? Um, let me look her up. Because you swore she was like... She had... Well, I think they made her Latina? to be... Latina? Yeah, because... But she looked black to me because of her cheekbones. Uh, let me find her. And uh, her lips. Mady Norman. Uh, and like, I have a really bad time sometimes knowing what nationality people are. Georgia. Uh, she's from Georgia. Uh, okay. I, have to, I actually have to like look up her bio. Gotcha. To find it. But I'm going to talk about her while you do that. Okay. Um, ah. She did not seem to care about her job. Mm-hmm. Um, she did a really good job making it seem like she did care, though, about Blanche. Mm-hmm. She was just kind of tired of dealing with baby Jane Hudson. Yeah. Um, so it's it wasn't all that weird when she was like, yeah, I'm going to take a day off. If you say it's fine, I'm going to go. <laughs> Yeah, and she would, and she came back like, "Hey, I just want to come back, just check on her, you know, see what's up." And then, yeah. and then she like, it's it's. First of all, one thing. I, oh, now I remember the one, passing of time. Yeah, that's the thing that bothered me so much—the passing of time in this movie. Because apparently, anybody who walks in that house moves incredibly slow, or time moves <laughs> fuck fast forward. It's like the TARDIS, but instead of it being bigger <laughs> on the inside, it's slower on the inside. Yeah. Um, so, maybe Norman. It doesn't say exactly what nation- her nationality, but she did. She did become an instructor of African American literature. So she's black. 
she's black. She has to be mixed. But she's got to be mixed. Yeah. She's got to be mixed because they don't talk about uh, like her parents. Oh. Oh, she black. Yeah. See, she was born on a plantation. Really. Yep. Naomi uh, Norman was born Mady Ruth Gamble on a plantation in Villa Rica, Georgia, at the Louise and Lilla uh, Graham Gamble. Oh, two. Those are her parents. Wow. Yeah, she was born. What year? So it must have been uh, in the eighteen hundreds. Nineteen twelve. This is during the Shit. this is during the Reconstruction era. Okay. <laughs> so she wasn't a slave. But she was a slave. Yeah. She wasn't born into like, you know, no, she wasn't born to slavery, but the we're in the, they were in the throes of the Reconstruction era. So, yeah, they were still getting treated the same. It was like having a girlfriend without the title. You <laughs> yeah, know what exactly. I mean? Exactly. <laughs> um, oh, yeah. So, yeah. So, we're going to the passes of time. Okay. So, the passes of time thing, it's like so annoying because like the, like it's with, with, with the Blanche character and then with the, um, uh, what's the homegirls uh, with the Elvira character? How they get into that house? How they're in the house? Like while okay, it's up in the table, uh, while Baby Jane is like doing something. There's like a moment of like, oh shit, maybe like they can get out of it or something like that. And just how slow they fucking move. I know to like like how that part where like Blanche, they, you know they drive very slow in those oh, days. Yeah. They drive those fucking boats and shit. I know. Like that. So like they're driving so slow. How the hell do they leave? And handle their business and then come back. Yeah, and yeah. they're still not broken through the fucking door. Yeah, exactly. So that's that's one thing that really bothered me in this movie: the, the passage of time. Whenever Baby Jane left, it was just like, and I get they're like building up for suspense, but like, come the fuck on! This is this is a little too ridiculous. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um, so let me so just to kind of go on a little bit more into the feud. Uh, even though we covered a segment that we had a segment where we covered most of it, there was um, what happened was that when Joan Crawford started sending little gifts and notes to the crew uh, to win their affection, Betty Davis sent her a note telling her to knock the crap off. <laughs> <laughs> um, so of course, there's other stuff about like how uh, supposedly like Betty Davis had like hit uh, Joan Crawford across the head and like required stitches. It's the whole rocks thing and everything about like being weighed down. Um, so there's there's another thing that happened that I didn't cover uh, in the Variety Time segment. It says, according to Betty Davis, Joan Crawford refused to, to dispose of her falsies, which essentially is fake, like, breasts, like the, yeah. the padded ones. But I guess I think back then they were a bit harder because that's mm-hmm. how style was. And they were probably pointier. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because that's the style. They look like bullets. <laughs> yeah, okay. So as part of uh, so uh, as part of her wardrobe, Miss Crawford owned three sizes, uh, three sizes of bosoms. Um, in the famous scene in which she lays on the beach, Joan wore the largest one. <laughs> <laughs> this is what. And let me see. I think this is what Betty Davis said. She goes, "Let's face it. When a woman lies on her back, I don't care how well endowed she is, her bosoms do not stand straight up." And Blanche has supposedly wasted away for 20 years. The, the scene called for me to fall on top of her. This is David saying this. I had the breath almost knocked out of me. It was like fighting. It was like falling on two footballs. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, like I said, like this film, like it had a low budget. It was a huge success. It started. It had a spiritual sequel and it started like essentially uh, like a uh, horror slash thriller like subgenre, and people still talk about this movie, and they still talk about the feud to this day. Yeah, you know, which is it shows like 
I, I like the fact that like because a lot of times like when there's like a feud or something that's like so heavily uh, ingrained into the pop culture zeitgeist and it's like the back the, the behind the scenes it like overshadows the movie itself mm-hmm. this one I think finds like a perfect balance where you hear about the feud but you want to see the movie where the feud came from yeah and then you want to like dig a little bit more into the feud itself I think I finally figured out what $750,000 was in 2017 how much was that like five hundred and sixty thousand. Like in current time? No, in twenty seventeen time. Oh, okay. Damn. Mm-hmm. That's not bad. Yeah, because like seventy two million. That means like nine million times eight million. Mm-hmm. So about eight million times the seven hundred fifty. Oh, okay, and that's how you figured it out. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I like how you're just like really doing the math in your head. I think I did that wrong. I have to think about it because now that sounds really stupid. Because <laughs> fi- uh, it would be more like fifty-six million. Okay, let me see. Hold on. Uh, yeah, it'd be fifty, like fifty-six million. I mean, um, five million six hundred. Okay, so let me see. Let's look at the calculator since I let's let's look at the calculator right now. Because you know it's hot in here, so I'm just gonna blame it on that. Uh, so seventy. Okay, so seven hundred fifty thousand times eight million. Actually, here let, let's do this. Um, I have a calculator open. Okay, that. Okay, all right, all right. No, actually, I got I got found this website that actually does an inflation co- uh, calculator. So seven hundred fifty thousand and nineteen sixty two time today would be six million seven hundred forty seven thousand. Mm, that I wasn't too far off. No, you weren't too far off. You're like a couple mil off, but you're good. Like a mil and a half. You're good, girl. You're good. Um, okay, so, uh, Kelsey. Mm-hmm. Does this movie still hold up? Yes. Yes. Fully agree. I Even though it's a, it's 1962, it is still worth watching. It's still worth watching. It definitely deals with subject matter that you could apply to just about any situation today. Mm-hmm. Sibling ri- rivalry and stuff like Sibling that. Sibling rivalry or caretaker, like, and abuse of the mm-hmm. people that they're taking care of. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um, people not being where they want to be in life anymore. Mm-hmm. And blaming somebody else for that. Yeah, everything. Mm-hmm. Um, it all applies. Gotcha. And I like it. Excellent. And I hate it. You know, it hurts me, but I like it. It hurts me so good. <laughs> okay. okay. All right. <laughs> um, so is there anything else? Are we good? We're good. All right. So we want to thank everybody for joining us uh, for this week. Uh, we especially like to thank the folks over at Your Entertainment Corner. Um, they are hosting this podcast on their website. Uh, and that is the home of Kelsey Loisel, where she writes reviews for. I know what I'm sad. I haven't written in a while. Judy's seen, I wrote twice. I feel like it. I feel like Judy's been super busy. Probably. Lately. I haven't even seen like if she's not busy, she's mm. posting pictures of herself doing something. Yeah. And I feel like I haven't seen that a lot lately. So yeah. she must not be around on Facebook to do it. Yeah, just hit her up. Just hit her up and be like, hey, like send me something to review. I'm yeah. sure she's got something for you. Um so for all your film news and TV news, and also for your reviews, you want to go to your entertainmentcorner.com. Uh, you can find this podcast on all podcast catchers. You know, whatever you listen to uh, or whatever you're using for this podcast to listen to it, you're good. You're all good. Just keep it going. If you don't like it, we're on other shit as well. 
If you don't like it. Mm-hmm. If you don't like the podcast, you know what you could do? Write, write to us and give us a five-star review? No, you can at least, like, give us a listen. Like, you know, like, <laughs> like you know how it, it shows us in our tracker that we had someone who downloaded oh, it and yeah, listened? Yeah, yeah. Uh. Play it for your pets so they don't feel alone. Oh, yeah. That's right. You and know. Then they'll feel happy that they're listening to people. You know. I didn't tell you this, but like, so that so that the cats wouldn't feel alone, I would play our podcast on your speaker. No, you didn't. <laughs> <laughs> That's why they're like, please don't ever leave again. <laughs> um, okay, so you're going to want to join us for our episode for next week, where our recent review is going to be A24's The Green Knight. Yeah. Oh, we've been looking forward for this movie for so long. Oh, my God. You know, when, uh, before the my trip? Mm-hmm. You had said that um, something, you know, you, you were like, oh, you know what's coming out while you're on your vacation? Mm-hmm. And I and I thought you were talking about The Green Knight. Mm-hmm. I got really sad. Yeah. And then I was like, oh, it's Black Widow. And you're like, no, no. You're like, at Zola. Oh, yeah. And then I got less sad, but still sad. Yeah. We, we still saw it. <laughs> I know. We did. <laughs> uh, so The Green Knight is premiering in theaters on July the 30th. Um, so you folks should uh, go out there and check it out. If you feel safe, if you feel comfortable, go ahead and do it. If not, then, you know, no, no, uh, no foul or anything like that. Um, so we're gonna do our geriatric cinematic, which we are gonna pair that with Excalibur, the 1981 uh, film following uh, King Arthur and the Knights of the Round Table. Yeah, not L. Ron Hubbard's philosophy book oh, yeah. <laughs> that apparently will make you kill yourself oh yeah you read it. <laughs> I guess, hilarious. um i'm actually looking forward to this because i've never have seen this movie um it's it's like a, it's sword and sorcery and i'm not a, i'm not a fan of that kind of shit but i'm so interested in watching this movie because i heard it's really good and it's like and it's our tri- studio yeah that we it, love yeah and it's like trippy as fuck oh yeah for green Knight, yeah but for excalibur like oh that that, that one yeah. I, that one i'm looking forward to like checking out as well uh excalibur is available to rent on apple tv prime video or other vod uh devices or sorry vod services uh the topic is epic nights and acid trips because that's what i'm hearing about excalibur <laughs> So we should uh, we should do that, right? Yeah, we should do acid and watch Excalibur. <laughs> yeah. No, let's do acid, watch Green Eye, and then do acid and watch Excalibur. <laughs> <laughs> and then we'll do the podcast. And, on acid? And, no, not on acid, because then we would do talk about like the movie, and it'll be nothing to do with yeah. what the hell the movie was about. What the fuck did you watch? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like how sometimes we just have like a little... except that'll be the whole episode yeah (laughs) um so yeah we're gonna bid you guys adieu i hope everybody out there is safe um take your shots just gonna say that i'm tired of getting angry about it anyway blah 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 blah. uh but before we leave we're gonna leave you guys with a nice little story uh there are times i can be an asshole there are times i can be very childish uh my kid's mother uh recognized this one night when she made me dinner and i just refused to eat it i was like no i didn't want it no i don't want that it's just bratty as shit super bratty as shit and i said fuck it and went to bed and i woke up the next morning you know you woke up and ate del taco at night no no, i didn't do yes but no (laughs) (laughs) so i woke up the next morning and i was expecting breakfast to be made for me 
just still being a complete asshole. And I came into the kitchen, and and my kid's mother was there, and she was eating, but there was nothing for me. And I was like, where's my dinner? Like, I mean, where's my dinner? Where's my breakfast? Did you not make me anything? And she must have just watched whatever happened to baby Jane. Because she looked at me and said, I didn't bring your breakfast because you didn't eat your din-din. 